your work life, your relationships, your money, your health, the meaning of life. Welcome to How to Do Life with Marty Nemco. Parenting. In one way, it's the easiest thing in the world. There's only a few major principles that you need to follow. And at the same time, it's the hardest because your emotions can so much get in the way, either because you get frustrated or because you love your kid too much or um, you're just overwhelmed with life. Um, so uh, I have a certain humility that I'm going to bring to this discussion. Of, um, I don't want you to think because I'm saying there's really only a few basic principles that are required and a, and a few critical incidents in parenting that you need to get right, uh, or you, it helps if you get right, uh, that I think it's easy. Uh, first, I want to make you, um, I want to try to make you uh, a little more relaxed about it. You know, we are learning that ever more of who we are is genetic, uh, and uh, there was a, a, a wonderful award-winning book um, and research that came out a while ago that found that actually peer influence is more important than parents. So much as we like to think that everything we do as a parent is going to be critical, uh, in fact, it's simply not true. Uh, in the extremes, of course, if you're tying your child up and beating them all the time, uh, unpredictably at random and going off on ten, you know, on tantrums, it's going to be a problem. Um, or if you're wildly indulgent at, at all times, as uh, uh, you know, the kids, uh, you and the kid are saying, "Hey, let's let's uh, let's toke together, let's get let's get high." Uh, clearly, that's not going to be good. But short of that, um, what you do is not that critical. Um, I want to say the few principles that. Uh, and what I'm going to say here is not, uh, is pretty much mainstream. Uh, the first thing that nearly every expert agrees is that corporal punishment, hitting your kid, is an absolute no-no. Why? First of all, it only gains short-term compliance. What happens is you scare the hell out of the kid, the kid behaves short-term, but long-term, your kid is more likely to be rejecting you because you can't keep hitting the kid forever and it creates an oppositional relationship between you and your kid. No good. And it also teaches your kid that violence is an appropriate way to respond. So take that off the table. You know, whatever it is that you're going to do in terms of rewards, punishments, guilt invocation, whatever, you are not going to hit your kid. I'll break your face. That's a joke. Um, so that's principle one. Principle two, and this is a bit contrarian, um, guilt has been uh, uh, associated with um, bad parenting, unhappiness, people have gone into therapy for a zillion years, uh, feeling guilt and shame that their parents perpetrated upon them. Well, and it's also been the butt of a lot of jokes about Jewish parents. Yeah, go ahead, do what you want, I'll just put my head in the oven kind of jokes. But um, the truth is that guilt invocation of guilt by parents is a very potent and legitimate and healthy um, approach to parenting as a tool, as a response, as maybe even the first response to misbehavior. Let me try to explain why through the typical example of a kid who misbehaves, doesn't clean up the room when they said they would, comes home late when they said they were, um, even you know smoking weed, uh, whatever. The Standard advice is to avoid guilt invocation and give it a reward for good behavior, punish for bad behavior, hit the kid, time out, 
Uh, no. In most cases, and of course, one size is not for all. Every kid's a little different. But the first line of defense against misbehavior would be, let's say Johnny, you called Johnny twice to come to the uh, to the dinner table. Mommy, I want to watch more TV. And he refuses to come in. In general, the wisest approach, if you can pull on ropes of restraint and feel uh, and be uh, be your best self would be to say something like, Johnny, I know you're better than this. You're a part of this family, and we need you at the table. I can't force you. I'm not going to pick you up and throw you on into the chair. But um, I know you're better than this, and I'll be disappointed if you don't come. And then just walk away. And then if the kid comes back 10 minutes or 15 minutes later, says, I'm hungry! Say, you know, um, we're in the middle of dinner. Um, you know, if you want to come to the table now, either okay, or it's appropriate to give a little punishment. Say, you know, um, you embarrassed me and we're not a good member of the family when you chose to not come to the table. So um, you're going to have to eat after we're done. We're not going to get up and, you know, create something special for you. Now, I'm not saying you always need to do that, but the, the, the reason guilt works so well is it builds intrinsic motivation. The guilt makes the person feel like they were not being their best self. I didn't say, you're a terrible kid. You're always going to grow up to be a loser. I didn't do any of that. I said that you made a mistake. You, you did not fulfill your role as a family member, and I'm disappointed in you. That tends to build more intrinsic motivation so that when the kid is on his own or later on the next week, the next day, whatever, the kid is more likely intrinsically to feel oh, I really, you know, I should be a more grown-up kid and show up at the dinner table. Um, nothing works all the time. I'm not saying it works all the time. But when day is done, when parenting is done after 18 or 30 years or whatever, um, your child will be more intrinsically motivated, motivated to behave well, do the right thing for internal reasons. Because when that kid goes off to college, you're not going to be there to issue rewards and punishment. It's going to be laissez-faire time with all the kids in the dorm uh, having, uh, you know, a good old time, even if it's not in their best interest. Uh, so the goal in parenting is to build intrinsic motivation. So that, and it, you know, that along with no corporal punishment are two critical important rules. A third basic principle, and the other are really not a lot, is where possible, you know, sometimes you're just too busy, you don't have time for this or whatever, um, but in general, you want to be the voice of reason. You want to give a reason for why, and it can be very brief. I'm not talking about long lectures. Long lectures don't work. Who knows, maybe this 28 and a half minute uh, lecture is not going to work, but this is what this radio show is. I'm giving you my best. Um, in any case, uh, a long lecture to your child is usually not going to work, um, uh, but a short explanation, even if it's a phrase or a sentence, can make clear that you're not being an arbitrary parent. You, you, know, you're, you know, why should you come to the dinner table? Because I said so. No, because it's really great when families can count on night in and night out, we're going to be together, you know, with exceptions when there's, you know, an emergency, your dad or your mom have to be out of town, uh, you know, or on business or whatever. But in general, we want to try to have family dinner every night because it even if night after night we don't have any really important conversations, it's a space where we know that that's what that's there for, and it's a, a, a nice ritual. So 
that was about two or three sentences, maybe a little longer than it needed to be. But giving that reason, again, builds intrinsic motivation. It builds the valuing of reason rather than arbitrariness. Power plays where the, where the parent just tries to exert power because I'm the grown-up. I've had more experience than you have. Any of that stuff is teaching the wrong lessons. You want to be doing, your kid to be doing the right thing because it's the right thing. You know, I like to, let me give the drug example because it's such a, it's very vivid in my mind because as a career counselor, I can't tell you how many people's lives have been ruined simply from weed. The loss of memory, loss of motivation. There's recent data that it shows increase in social anxiety and proclivity even to, to severe psychotic stuff like schizophrenia. And this is not reefer madness conservative stuff. This is the un, relative, we we're all biased in some ways, but the research that comes out of our most prestigious universities, not the advocacy groups who are saying, weed, weed. So if my kid, let's say I, I smelled marijuana in his room or I, I saw his stash or whatever, um, I would probably, and again, keep, the, keep it short, I'd probably start by saying, can I give you a hug? And I'd start there. It lays a foundation of, this is not about being oppositional, not about exerting control because I'm the, the dad. It comes from a position of love and caring. So I would say something like, Johnny, and of course it could be Janie, um, Johnny, I did smell weed in your room. And uh, this is a tough issue for me because I, I see how many lives are ruined. I know when kids are young, you think you're impervious. You know, you're, if I had a bright kid, I'd use impervious. If not, that, you know, nothing bad can happen to you. Uh, but especially as a teenager, uh, the evidence is really clear that the brain doesn't fully form until 25 and you could be creating permanent damage like loss of IQ points. Major study in New Zealand said that. Increased cancer risk, cardiovascular risk. The cancer risk is not clear. And see, I would tell my kid that but risk of heart attacks, early heart attacks. They were finding even young people. Losing your motivation. You're a good student in school. I don't want you to lose that. Your brain is your, maybe your most important organ. So I want to shut up there, but I want to tell you that I'm sad and I'm worried and I'm hoping that you won't do weed. I know other kids do. So Johnny, um, don't BS me. Tell me the truth. How are you really reacting to this, this plea to be more grown up and more mature. So that's kind of what I would say that because this is a major issue. Um, that'd be the kind of thing that I would say, again, respectfully, with love, citing evidence, but also feelings. Um, I like to think that that represents a good balance. Um, now let's 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 see if there's. I don't think there's any other really core principles. Oh yeah, you know one of the things a, p a good parent does is they they do do set up environmental things that are likely to build the build for success in the kid. So one would be yes, from the earliest age, even at birth, to be talking to your child, looking to your child, holding the child. It builds security builds language. They're taking in language even from the very, very beginning. Um, uh, an atmosphere that generally tends to be filled with praise rather than criticism. Do look for the positive, but not gratuitous praise. 
you know, the kid who's been a wild kid and he's throwing temper tantrums or whatever, and he's good for five seconds, saying, oh, what a good boy you are, Johnny, feels disingenuous, and the kid, even at a young age, is gonna, is gonna know that. But you wanna have a home environment that generally errs toward the positive and putting your kid in environments that are gonna work for that kid. If your kid is a hyperactive boy, you're not gonna get him to sit and do his homework as soon as he's coming home from school. You've got to give him or her a chance to run around, to play, and say, I understand. You've been sitting, on, your butt's been in that chair in school all day. You know, do you want to go out? You want to play? What do you want to do? You need some freedom. You know, and if the kid is, is not an athletic but bookish, that's fine. You know, say, I want to read a book or I want to watch a little TV or I want to play a video game. That's fine. Please go ahead. You deserve a little time to relax. So there's an erring. You're clearly on the same side of the table as your kid. You're, you're being humanistic in general. It doesn't mean that you don't set limits. There are, you you know, and different kids need different amounts of limits. I was very fortunate to have a child, uh, my daughter Amy, who was very self-monitoring and if anything was too diligent. So, you know, I had to set almost no limits for her whatsoever from, you know, telling her, asking her when, you know, when are you going to do your homework? She basically did her own homework on her own. And you know, I didn't need to set a curfew because she was just very responsible. I felt it was disrespectful of a kid like that to impose limits just because that's the standard thing to do. One size does not fit all. So in general, you're trying to err to be err on the positive side, but recognize that every kid is different. Some kids are always going to test the limits. And then in, with a kid like that, it is your responsibility to... Um, to set reasonable limits and sometimes be quite firm about it, you know, because sometimes if you're too lax and let it go, uh, the kid's going to keep pushing the limits, pushing the limits, and now you've got a real problem, kid. On the other hand, because everything is about nuance, it's never black and white, you know, you don't want to nail your kid to the cross every time he screws up or she screws up, you know, even if he violates the limits. Let's say you've got a kid who tends to be oppositional. And the kid, you know, you say, you've got to be home six o'clock for dinner. And it's now 6.20 and the kid saunters in and tosses his basketball down in, in the living room and, you know, whatever. Sometimes you, 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 you're going to want to say, you know, Johnny, you know, you promise. And promises mean a lot in this family. It means a lot to me and it means a lot to your reputation in general to keep your word. And you didn't. And so I'm disappointed. And then shut up. But sometimes you don't have the energy for that. You've worked all day. You're, you're tired. You want to go home. You want to be, uh, you want to relax. You're not in the mood for even a brief lecture. So sometimes all you need to do is purse your lips a little bit. And that's it. The, the kid, kid, if he's looking at you and you want him to be looking at you, you can purse your lips while he's looking at you. That gets to the point, of course, without any long lectures. In fact, the shorter, the better. That brings up another little tip that I'd like to mention here. Sometimes a way of avoiding the long lecture thing is, let's say you and your child agreed that he or she is not going to curse in the house. It's not one of my big issues. I don't particularly care about that a whole lot. Although the reason to encourage kids not to curse is that in public, uh, generally people tend to disparage those who, who use curse words a lot. Not that it matters to me. I think that's the least of all sins. But let's say we agreed that uh, to try to cut down his cursing. Rather than a lecture each time he said shit or whatever, I would we'd make an agreement that I would just provide a little feedback. So every time he said, you know, fuck or shit or whatever, 
I simply raised my finger for a second so he saw it. So he got, gets the message without the long lecture. The finger up is a really good technique. It's not only good in parenting, actually with your romantic partner. There's always going to be some things you're each of you are trying to work on. And instead of giving your partner a, rom- a big lecture when they, for example, leave their underwear on the floor, um, you might just, with that little smile, not mean, but, you know, a little bit of that kind of look and the finger up gets the point across without a long lecture. All right. Now, um, this is a good time for me um, to uh, let you know uh, you are listening to uh, How to Do Life. Uh, uh, I am Marty Nemco. You're listening to How to Do Life with Marty Nemco. You can email Dr. Marty Nemco with your comments and questions at mnemko at comcast.net or for his articles and books, visit martynemco.com. Dot com. That's M-A-R-T-Y-N-E-M-K-O dot com. Now back to How to Do Life. Okay, now I want to turn to um, uh, chronologically critical incidents in parenting and how these principles might be applied. So let's start with the baby, uh, your infant uh, or baby just won't stop crying. Um, here you've got to play diagnostician. Sometimes babies just cry for no reason, and you can be the greatest diagnostician this side of T. Barry Brazelton and Dr. Spock. And uh, I'm not talking about the, uh, the Star Trek one. I'm talking about the Benjamin Spock, the baby book, uh, author of the baby book. But um, sometimes they just won't cry. But other times, I know it's frustrating. You probably have worked a long day, and now you're listening to baby go, and will not stop. If you can, try to take that deep breath or two and try to play good diagnostician. What's the most likely reason? Could your kid be hungry? Could your kid need a diaper change? Could your kid need more, you know, just put them in a crib? Does a kid need to be rocked and held and walked? Uh, Is the kid sick? You know, most rarely it's that. Occasionally it's that. But don't jump to that too quickly. Sometimes parents are so worried about, you know, being the great parent that they jump to the doctor too quickly. You know, really, most times it's one. It's something lesser than that. It's usually something that isn't, uh, you know, uh, serious. Even if it's, as they say, idiopathic is what the docs say. We don't know what's causing it. Give it some time. Uh, if you need some alone time, of course, you can't deal with that nonstop screaming for hours. And sometimes that... That happened. I'm not screaming, but crying for hours. It's really difficult for a parent. So sometimes it is wise to just put your baby down in the uh, where the baby sleeps with soft music, uh, lights low, uh, and using, if you can, your calm voice. Say, "Mommy or Daddy really always loves you. It's okay. It's okay." And you stroke the kid's head a little bit, and then sometimes, you know, it'll slow down or stop. Uh, of course, if it doesn't, after a while, and you play diagnostician, you try the different things, it's not working, then, it, you know, I guess it may be a time to call your health care provider. And again, these days, it's just very often not a doctor. It could be your nurse, nurse practitioner, physician assistant, whatever. Anyway, so that's uh, that's the very first in the, in the chronology. Now, the next kind of critical moment is in toddlerhood. You know, they call them the terrible twos for a reason, because kids are testing the limits, and they want to... Uh, see if they can get their way by throwing tantrums. 
So they might yell and scream, throw things, get on the floor and, you know, pound away and whatever. Um, and even just by giving attention, uh, you're rewarding that. that. That attention is a reward in itself. Again, we're not always perfect, but the best thing you can do if, you know, let's say you say uh, no dessert for today. You, you were at the t dinner table, you were throwing your food, so no dessert for you. Um, you know, I'm disappointed in your behavior. That was both intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. Intrinsic, I'm disappointed in you. Um, extrinsic is no dessert. And he then, or, or she, goes on the floor and pounds away the floor. I hate you! You know, that kind of stuff. Um, the best thing you can do is say, that's, that's not going to work. Um, you'll be a lot happier if you stop. So um, it's up to you. And then ignore. And if you've got other siblings, if you've got other children, encourage your children to ignore it and not give the kid any attention. Uh, even yelling at the kid is attention. Um, best thing you can do, if again, if you can't control yourself, is to ignore it. Uh, next critical moment is homework. Um, you know, everybody is, 95% of kids, not my daughter, <laughs> but and me included, I mean, I did not like homework and most kids don't like homework. Uh, and really, your kid is not going to succeed or fail in life if he or she doesn't do homework regularly or whatever. But it does fall upon the parent to be the homework police officer. So uh, normally, the best way to deal with this is, is a little ounce of prevention, is to have a discussion with your kid. Uh, you know, at a given every year is a little different when there's a little more or less homework. So saying to your kid, okay, um, how can we schedule figure out this homework thing so that it's least painful for you and yeah so you can learn something and get good good grades that's why you do homework to establish some discipline get good grades and maybe learn something and reinforce something that you you were taught in school so see again i'm giving a reason i'm not just saying you got to do it because you got to do the homework you know or just for the grades i'm trying to build the intrinsic motivation about learning and responsibility but i also want to be clear that i'm on the kid's side that it doesn't need to be uh, uh, oppositional. It's, hey, what should we do? Do you want to do the homework right after school and get it over with? Do you need to get the, you know, to get some energy out and and, and play for a while and go out? Uh, when will you still be fresh? I would recommend, dear child, that normally it's better to do it before dinner because after dinner we have what's called food coma. We get more tired or whatever, and we don't feel like, you know, tired both because it's later in the day and because we've had the the, the meal in us. Um, it's normally better to do the homework either right after school or sometime before dinner. So, which time, you know, what do you want to make as your, your regular, normal, regular homework time? And let the kid choose if possible. And then you might give another choice. And that's another good tactic that parents can use. Uh, it's giving them two choices, both of which are acceptable. Um, you know, do you want to do it right after school? Or do you want to do it before dinner? Do you want to do it in your room, or would you like to do it in the kitchen near, you know, in the, ta the near the kitchen table in the same room as me? Those are reasonable choices. Do you want to try it with music on, soft music on? Do you want to try it without? You know, giving pairs of choices gives the kid some sense of choice, power, and the kid may may indeed choose the thing that is going to work better for him or her. That's that two choices thing works really well. I remember that with my daughter, we lived in New York, and it was cold. And my kid didn't like putting on the uh, her snowshoes, her her snowsuit. So um, instead of saying you gotta, we said, would you like to wear the red snowsuit or the blue snowsuit? Oh, I want the blue. So um, sometimes giving choice is a way to avoid an argument. 
useful technique. Okay, uh, and homework. Another where homework gets becomes problematic is when the kid um, uh, reaches a hard part. Mommy, it's too hard. I can't do it. So you can either, if you feel like that's just a ploy, give the little school mommy look. And don't say a word. You don't need to give a lecture. But sometimes if it really is hard, you might take a quick look if you've got the bandwidth to do it and just give enough help to get the kid over the hump. That suggests that the power does reside in the kid. The kid has the agency, and yet it doesn't mean he or she has to do it all by himself. Sometimes there is needs. Everybody needs a little help now and then. Um, so I think that's all I want to say about homework. Uh, now we get to, um, uh, we did the drug thing. That was another critical moment. Let's do the sex thing. Um, let's take the initial sex conversation. You know, it could be as, as young as seven or eight, sometimes 10. Um, and the kid is talking about the stork or where do I come from? Or a kid told me that, you know, babies come from daddy's doing doing weird things to mommy or whatever the kid says. Um, and that usually that's the best time to bring it up is when the kid is bringing the topic up that way the timing is you're more sure the timing is right and so you know you want to keep it pretty brief um, in the beginning and leave space for the kid to then ask questions or not so it could be as simple as oh i know you hear a lot of a lot of talk about that from from kids but i gotta tell you as a grown-up i've had a little more experience in that area and here is how babies come when, um, when a, a mommy and a daddy want to uh, have a, a, ch a child, they, they lie very close to each other. And um, in, part, in part of that they, that, they exchange a little fluid, and that ends up making a baby, and that baby grows in the mommy's belly. And then nine months later, out comes the baby. Um, do you have any questions about that? Anything you want to know? You know I'll then respond with questions or whatever, and I use a fairly matter-of-fact tone. Um, and then there are some there are some excellent books that are written for kids at different ages. Um, I think one of the best is something called "It's Not the Stork." <laughs> so you might then say, you know, I got you this book. Um, I'll put it next to your bed. Uh, read it if and when you feel like it. And if you have any questions, I'm always here to answer it. So I think that kind of matter-of-fact tone. But let's say this is not just lol. You know, let's say you think your kid is 14 or 15 years old and is sexually active. Um, and um, let's say that, you know, you don't know for sure, but you think the kid, you know, so you say, uh, you know, it seems like you're getting pretty close to your, to your boyfriend. And of course, this could occur either gender and it could be homosexual versus heterosexual. Sexual fluidity is in. I understand. Um, you would say, uh, let's, I'll role play both sides. So you seem to be very, very close with, uh, with Kyle these days. Um, yeah, yeah, he's all right. Um, um, I notice you close the, the, the bedroom door a lot uh, when, you, when, you're, when you're here. Um, Ma, leave me alone. I'm entitled to some privacy. You say, I understand. Um, you know, I just want you to know that I'm here. You know, I know these can, at, at, at your age, it can be um, pretty complicated, difficult, scary, whatever to be intimate, you know, touching with your, with your boyfriend, girlfriend. And do, um, do you, um, I want you to know that I'm really here for you. And if you would like to talk about it uh, now or down in the future, I'm here to, to, you know, talk about all the complexities. 
if and so don't worry I'm not you know I'm not going to beat you up and I would smile clearly I'm joking but it lets you know I'm serious and I, I try to let my kid take the lead uh, they probably will say no nah, everything's fine but you know uh, you've laid the foundation you've planted a seed for down the road uh, I don't have time to talk about the other final uh, major moment in parenting which is in choosing a college and choosing a career so I'll just simply say um, kids get so you know I would ask the big I'll say the one thing don't let your kid prostitute himself to get into a better brand name college because in fact on average the quality of the education is often worse the value of the designer label is not that great as to justify prostituting yourself it's a bad lesson to teach your kid that it's worth doing the things you don't want to do overwhelming your schedule um, uh, doing crew and serving suits to the homeless when that's not what you really want to do taking the SAT five times merely so you can get into a more designer label college moderation in fact community colleges are the most underrated of all and that is all the time we have so I would like to end today's show as I end all of them by reminding you that we do find comfort among those who agree with us growth among those who don't For comments on the show or to consult with Marty Nemko, his email address is mnemko at comcast.net. How to Do Life is produced by Marty Nemko. Post-production, Mel Baker. Music from the Blue Dot Sessions. Thanks for listening.